Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I'm pleased today to introduce my guest, Dr. Bafedile Chaukemoahi, who is a public health practitioner with a degree in public health medicine, occupational health, tropical medicine, and hygiene. Bafedile is uh, Engel Gold Ashanti's Vice President, Group Health, and is responsible for strategies in occupational and community health. She coordinates the program and implements it across operations in Africa, Latin America, and Australia. She previously worked for the World Health Organization and is a member of the board of the AGM Malaria Special Purpose Vehicle in Ghana. Bafedile, welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. It's nice to have you. Thank you very much, um, Mehama. I am really honored and pleased to be part of this. Thank you. So uh, I wanted to speak with you specifically about your work with the AGM Malaria Program in Ghana. Could you briefly tell our listeners uh, what your contribution to to implementation of this program is? Look, the, the concept of the program started in 2005 when the AGA management realized that malaria was a real issue impacting production. Um, And really this was through absenteeism, either because the employees themselves were sick or their family members needed to be taken care of. So the program started wholly as an AGA risk management measure that acknowledged that malaria was prevalent in Obuasi and in Ghana. uh, And therefore we needed to establish a malaria program to tackle the problem you know, the the malaria issue at the source, uh, which is at community level. So a community-based malaria program was carefully thought through and established on the back of really sound baseline data, uh, detailed operational and logistical planning and, you know, evidence-based interventions And so there was a robust um, continuous surveillance monitoring and program evaluation to track and measure impact. And I think um, essentially that's my contribution, really just thinking through what needed to be done uh, to tackle the problem. I wasn't there in 2005, but my predecessor started this in 2005 and we've just been carrying on. uh, And the program has had a lifespan of about 15 years and still, still going. Uh, so uh, it started off essentially as uh, a corporate initiative to uh, tackle problems that were clearly uh, translating into low productivity, but at the same time uh, impacting the health of employees and their families. But then it mushroomed to something bigger to become a public-private partnership between the government of Ghana, the Global Fund, the World Health Organization and Anglo Gold Ashanti. Tell me how we moved from it being a corporate initiative to being all intents and purposes a national initiative. Yes, so um, following some significant drops that really also surprised AGA as well. I mean, there were significant benefits. We saw drops um, of more than 70% in, in the first three years in the Obuasi community malaria prevalence, including amongst the workers. Uh, And so after commencement of the program, there was appetite from government with whom we had been collaborating from the very beginning to replicate this in other parts of the country. The program was 
very elaborate and showing results. And I guess government, the government of Ghana not only appreciated the positive disease burden, I mean, benefits, but also realized the potential benefits of partnering with AGA to implement and operationalize their evidence-based program more widely. So in 2010, 2011, discussions commenced where the Ghana National Malaria Program recommended AGA as the principal recipient of the Global Fund grant for malaria and scale up its program to more, more districts in Ghana. The, I mean, this AGA uh, program was really based on extensive information and awareness, indoor residual spraying, early diagnosis and treatment, and very close surveillance, monitoring, and evaluation of trends and outcomes. So this meant that the government didn't have to get into the operational nitty gritties and implementation details, and would free up some, some of their time and resources to deal with other priorities. Um, of course, as AGA, we were really honored to be um, considered in this way, and we took this up with both hands. This was an opportunity to, to address our risk, but also an opportunity to access more financial resources and replicate our expertise into the wider community of Ghana. So oh, this would... Uh -huh. Please Sorry. go ahead. So this would present an opportunity to contribute in a, a much more meaningful way in a much larger scale. And, and I think this is what every crop corporate wants, you know, to, to do good. So, so from what I sense, what you're saying is that uh, for your company, it was a win-win yes. uh, in that on the one hand, you did tackle the internal corporate uh, business environment disruptions, but at the same time, you're able to link with your stakeholders. And, and so I guess this is one of the things that uh, advocates of public-private partnerships uh, put forward, which is that everybody plays to their strength and everybody uh, stands to benefit. Let, let's take each one of those contributors uh, separately. So you've stated your contribution. Let's say you took the government of Ghana from the room and that the government didn't make any contribution. In your mind, um, what would have been the impact of such a move? Um, look, I, I, I don't think it would have worked. Um, the government of Ghana was possibly the most fundamental partner that we needed. And the support and endorsement of the program by the Ghana government was really what led to the success of the program. They were our initial and most primary partner. In fact, the reason the PPE was established was because the government of Ghana recommended AGA as a worthwhile partner that had the expertise and credibility to administer and implement parts of the National Malaria Program um, in several most impacted districts of Ghana. So we, we had a common goal of reducing the malaria burden and the common cause is what led to the establishment of the PPE. Without the government, we would have not seen, we, you know, we as AGA would have not been seen or heard. You know, they saw what we did, they acknowledged what we did, they blew our horn, 
and therefore attracting other partners like the Global Fund and other partners, technical partners that we, were, we, that we work with. So we continue to work under their guidance in an effort to contribute to some of the most pressing priorities of our host country, um, Ghana. Uh, so when uh, the program moved from just being a Oboazi confined initiative to being replicated in what, if I remember, was about 40 uh, districts, what was the response of other mining companies seeing this? Because clearly malaria would not have affected AGA only. Yes, I think the response was really positive. We saw other mining companies establishing similar programs. We exchanged a lot of information with them, but also they were also benefiting because we were touching on some of the districts where they were. So the response was really positive and we've continued to work together to, to address the, the issue of malaria. We have, we have as AGA ourselves established this program in other, and replicated it in other mining operations in Africa. And we have had re requests for support from other companies to establish similar programs. So when they ask for your support specifically, what are they asking for? Are they asking for methodologies? Are they asking for HR expertise? What is the, the specific area that your competitors believe you can help them? I think the, the technicalities of uh, the program. I mean, a lot of, of operations and organizations and countries do indoor residual spraying. But our methodology was really specialized. It was standardized and it was really carefully thought through. And, the indoor residual spraying was a big part of it, but we had other arms of the program that we, we thought were really important. For instance, our information and awareness program that was really carefully thought through was, you know, without it, we, we are doomed. You know, you can do indoor residual spraying, but if people are not accepting and understanding what you're doing and not really carrying out the, the behaviors that support the program, then, then your program is doomed. The other thing that I think was very important for us was the careful baseline data and information and the operational logistical part, which was mapping of every infrastructure and household in these communities where we operate. So we had a methodology that was really detailed, that was robust, that made sure that the indoor residual spraying um, succeeded. And it was, based on us really paying attention to the detail. So more importantly, I think they were looking for the methodology, they're looking for the technical capacity to carry something out in a holistic manner like this uh, and have it succeed. And like I said, we, we, we collected a lot of data. We have a very strong monitoring process that is able to, on an ongoing basis, demonstrate um, the impacts that we're making. And I think this is what a lot of pro programs may be missing. I mean, that is the aspect of the program that helps us to continue to attract other partners uh, because we're able to continuously demonstrate the impact, not only short term, but really the, 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 the community-based health indicators for malaria are improving.
So you've said uh, quite a couple of uh, important things and, and they make me think about uh, where we are now with uh, COVID-19. Let me see if I can we can uh, follow through on those one at a time. One is the pivotal role of uh, the endorsement of the program by the government of Ghana. My guess is that part of your ability to engage successfully with the community had to do with the voice of the government endorsing you. Would this be correct in terms of uh, people being willing to receive you in their homes? Definitely, definitely. I mean, this is uh, spot on. I, I don't think as AGA we had the impetus to, to do this without government. Now, you, you also make reference to mapping of communities and, and households. Can you just take the listener through that? Because uh, as uh, governments today roll out vaccination and COVID uh, to tackle the COVID pandemic, my guess is that two things are potentially problematic. The first being demographics, knowing uh, how many people they are, the age uh, category, the, the health risk profile, uh, as well as uh, just uh, the numbers per household. C can you tell us uh, how you, in the uh, AGA Malaria Initiative, tackled this and how you collected the data and made sure that it was reliable and robust? Um, so the this is uh, this mapping um, was we were supported. I think one of the the things that help us as a mining company is we have a lot of skilled people that we could leverage upon. You know, so we had a lot of operations and logistics guys who really assisted in making sure that we understood, and we have GIS programs that we use all the time um, to, to, so, to, to really understand where everything is. So we did extensive mapping using the GIS programs of every single household and collected a lot of data on that. And we continue to do that and update it on an annual basis. And, and it, it's almost like a, a census, but, um, and, and this has helped us not only for malaria, but also just understanding the dynamics of the communities where we operate, the disease pre prevalence, um, the, the interventions that we need to be, you know, addressing and looking into. So I, I mean, the GIS mapping itself is really specialized and we were able to do this because of the expertise that we had amongst our mining colleagues that we could leverage on. But we, we did extensive mapping, looking into each and every household, contents, disease burden, status of economics, and just really understanding where the most need was. So uh, for our listeners, GIS is Geographic uh, Information Systems, which is really a system that is used by geotechnical scientists in, in mining to yes. map the geology of a place. But this system can also be used uh, for other mapping purposes. And, and so basically what you're saying is, though for mining purposes, it was grounded in geotechnical science, when uh, the problem arose of mapping communities, uh, and knowing, uh, as you said, the profiles of and the numbers, 
that system came in handy and you could leverage it. And, and, and I guess that is the value of uh, the corporate, if you wish, uh, resource capability. Uh, so so you, you used another term which for the lay person, uh, you know, may grammatically make sense, but contextually might, might lose the, the listener. What do you mean by baseline? You keep using this term baseline. Oh, sorry. Yes, baseline means the, the status at the beginning of, of the program. So what we do is we, we what we did um, is we went into these communities right at the beginning of the program to establish what the health status, the malaria status, the malaria parasite burden in children, you know, the school absenteeism levels, the work absenteeism levels, all those indicators we collected right at the beginning, which means that this is the baseline information that we used um, to track our progress against, to see if we are regressing or if we are moving forward. And this is the reason we have been able to sort of speak of the 70% drop or the 90% drop in the, you know, in the time that we have done the program because we've seen levels um, dropping all the way down to less than, you know, to, they dropped by 90% since the program started. And so the baseline data is the data that we collected that we, we use to refer to, uh, to understand our progress and track our progress, whether we are getting to where we want to or whether we are regressing. And it's been fun that, you know, that information has been great because we continue with the monitoring um, and we have had resistance to the, to the insecticides that we use in certain parts. Um, and this information we were able to to analyze correctly because we had a, you know, continuous information from the first time we started that told us that, you know, that was able to communicate to us that there was a red flag here, maybe you need to change your strategies. But baseline is really the initial information that we collected um, at the beginning of the program. So one of the reasons why I'm interested in this topic now is because I see some kind of correlation between the work you're doing and the, the work that the governments in the region and the countries where AGA works and the challenges of COVID-19 and for that matter, some of the solutions. Am I correct that some of the work uh, overlaps and that some of the lessons from the malaria period may have value now? And if so, what are these lessons in your view? Look, um, I think for the COVID, what, what we saw now, even with the COVID-19 um, pandemic, is the infrastructure and knowledge um, from the malaria program came in really handy. You know, we have gathered a lot of information over the years around the households and the infrastructure. And so we were able to, to, to even transform these programs quite quickly to to, we adapted them to go into cleaning purposes. We knew where everything that needed, you know, hygiene uh, support was. I mean, every infrastructure that needed hygiene support was. We used the program itself to do information and awareness, which was a big part of the COVID-19. And we have, tried, we have done this with COVID-19. We've done this with Ebola. 
I think you might be aware that Guinea on the 14th of February um, had um, declared an Ebola outbreak right in the middle of a COVID-19 uh, outbreak. We were able to use these programs dually to produce information and awareness and, and, and support information and awareness for Ebola as well. And we did this in 2015, of 2014, 2015 as well. So these programs are very much um, public health programs. We have been able to support uh, childhood immunization in Obuasi uh, using the infrastructure of, of, of uh, the malaria program in, in Ghana. So, and we have been able to support a whole other, you know, uh, community programs because of the infrastructure and the knowledge that we have. We support the census. We, you know, with childhood immunization, we're able to have information about these households, uh, the occupants of these households, the children in these households, and 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 really reach them with the with the interventions that that um, are there. So yes, you're right. We we we. These programs are really malaria-based, but um, they have been able to be used for other public health measures that were necessary. And we, we see them as such. Um, we would like them to support more public health interventions than just malaria. So when you, you've, you said the we, and I'm trying to figure out who the royal we is here. When you say we have been able to use them in child immunization, we've been able to use them uh, in Guinea, with the recent flaring up of e Ebola. Is the we uh, anglo Ashanti, or is the we the uh, partnership between the company the, and the country's health systems? Who is undertaking these uh, interventions and using this data from the malaria program? The we is the partnerships. Um, it's AGA, it's government, it's the Global Fund. And in fact, the Global Fund channeled uh, some funds to, to respond to the COVID-19 through the AGA malaria program. So, the, and this was obviously with consultation with government, but we were able to do more work and get funds from our other partners through this vehicle to, to do COVID-19 work. So the we is the partnership that sits and says, look, we have this problem, how do we address it? We have this infrastructure, we have this vehicle that we have been using for these purposes, but can we use it for this as well? So the we is the partnership. So the, this intellectual property, which uh, thankfully is being uh, replicated, and as you said, though it might've been essentially malaria driven, it has now, if you wish, mushroomed into other public health interventions because essentially you are dealing with the, the same problems. You need to know where people are. You need to know how to access them. You need to educate them publicly. You need to have their uh, cooperation. So, so this IP, where does it sit? Is it still sitting with uh, the AGM malaria special uh, purpose vehicle, or is it now? Uh, if you wish, migrated into the national health intervention space? I think it's, look, I, it has definitely migrated because it was never really something that we wanted to keep to ourselves. Um, AGA um, derived this really to support the country. 
uh, and all the other countries where we operate, but also respond to our, to our own risk. But over time, it has evolved and it has migrated and it has been replicated in other parts of the world. And if anything, I think we would like for that to, to be replicated as much as possible because we know it works. Uh, so certainly not uh, necessarily belonging to a AGA. A lot of the uh, people who still run the programs are, are still very much AGA uh, linked. Uh, but we work with all partners to make sure that it's replicated as widely as possible. So, uh, I mean, if you think of the pessimistic voice in the room that says, look, Dr. Moari, cut to the chase. This is just a corporate interest. This is not about doing good. Uh, and, and that you know, the work you are doing is thanks, but no thanks. What would your response be to the pessimistic voice? Look, I, I think um, AGA operates in Obwasi and in Takwa in, in Ghana. There was absolutely no need for AGA to move into 40 districts or 16 districts or 25 districts of Ghana where we don't operate. Um, so this was really driven by the appetite for the company to really make an impact beyond itself. You know, we could have just focused on the two districts where we operate. So I, I certainly don't agree. Look, I think there's always room for improvement and a lot has been done by a lot of people. But I think this, this program itself has demonstrated that there is um, uh, an opportunity for companies to collaborate and, 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 and really bring about social benefit at a really large scale. And this we couldn't have done on our own. So, you, you know, the partnership was really fundamental for this. And, and we feel really proud to be part of this, especially because it's not really no longer just responding to our corporate risk. It's really just about doing good uh, as widely as possible. Um, and like I say, we have been able to do work in COVID-19, in Ebola. And so community risk is, um, um, you know, corporate risk. We've seen it with Ebola, we've seen it with COVID. When we cannot operate in the countries because there's a COVID-19 uh, issue, it no longer becomes an AGA program. Malaria is, a, is, is an issue for, for a lot of the countries where we operate. And we feel really honored that we're able to do something beyond our mining fence, beyond our own communities. So <clears throat> look, I think there's room for improvement. A lot can be done, but this is an opportunity. And this is an illustration that a lot can be done if we collaborate and partner together, um, um, working towards addressing the public health needs and, and in a really systematic manner. Um, you know, trying to address the most pressing needs of these communities where we operate, the host countries where we operate. So you, you operate uh, not just in Africa, you operate also in Brazil. Uh, yes. And there I, I have visited your minds and, and know that uh, tuberculosis is, is, a, is a, prob a major program, uh, problem historically. And I, I wondered whether you could talk about uh, what, in your view, are some of the similarities, not so much in the 
clinical aspects of the interventions, but more in the working with communities aspects. Are there any similarities in terms of the social dynamic in Brazil and what you find in West Africa, South Africa, and for that matter, Tanzania in East Africa? Look, there, there, there are similarities. I think, I think we, especially for South America and, and, and Africa, I must, however, say that the, 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 the process of partnering, we find that we are not necessarily required to do a lot in terms of implementation. And I think it's because of the, the pool of expertise that um, are there. So there we tend to contribute more financial support um, than implementation support. And in fact, that's, that's really been our approach um, you know, throughout the company to say, we will customize our support to the communities and the governments in a way that is relevant and suitable for them. So yes, lots of similarities in terms of the disease burden of the social issues, but we find that the vehicles that we have to use to support these, these, these communities are not so much implementation focused and more um, funding focus because we have a lot more skills there too, or not even more skills than Africa, but we have more people that are willing to do the implementation part. That's fine. So uh, here's my last question to you. Um, my sense is that uh, public-private partnerships are essentially an interim measure, but that a program like uh, the AGA program, which started with malaria and then at some point moved to, uh, you know, the, the vaccination of babies, Ebola, and now COVID-19, is, is its success is measured, if you wish, in its ability to work itself out of the job uh, by transferring enough skills that the company is no longer needed in the fundamental way that you have described. So assuming I'm correct that what you're doing is not sustainable, it's very helpful, very essential, uh, but that it must transist. Assuming I'm correct, uh, how do we make these interventions uh, see the light of day after AGA departs? Because no doubt the gold will run out at some point. AGA will not have the financial muscle, nor the physical presence. How do we ensure that a program like this is sustainable by lessening perhaps its dependency on the corporate entity? Yeah. Look, initially, uh, and specifically for the malaria program, initially it was really made to, you know, established to respond to a risk to production, you know. But in the evolution of the program, uh, we've given a lot of thought to that, you know, to say, what are the strategies that we need to explore to ensure sustainability in the long term? And you're right, um, it cannot continue to be dependent on a corporate. And I must also say, though, that that dependence has reduced over time. Um, we've made it a standalone company that can mobilize funding from different sources. And even just going back to that IP discussion, um, 
you know, like I say, we have tried to, to roll this out and implement this in as many places as possible. So one of the, the, the big arms that are developing inside AGA Mal is training, just training other people about the methodology. Because I mean, the methodology doesn't necessarily belong to us. Um, it, it, it was just us putting together evidence-based interventions that were already out there and packaging them to, to have this thing and, and it worked. So the training aspects, training other corporates, training other people, mobilizing other funds, and supporting other organizations as well to roll this out. So these strategies are being looked at, but from this as well, and, and this is slow because I think as much as this is not uh, an AGA issue or global fund issue, generally when someone else is taking care of the problem, people tend to focus on other things. So it, you know, so we, we need to continue sort of saying, how do we take this forward without the dependence and, and communicating that um, as widely as possible? But that, that is unfolding. It's unfolding really uh, not in, in, in as rapidly as we would like it to be, but we've given a lot of thought to that. But generally also we have learned from this program that as we start, um, as we look at any other community health program or community development program, we need to be factoring that sustainability aspect into, into, into the program from the beginning and understanding how it's going to carry itself over the years. Unfortunately, um, resources are limited and you don't always have the resources at the point where you say, I, I, you know, you, it's not easy to pull out if there's no other resource injection coming out. So we're, we're, we're moving with this quite, the board of AGA Mal and the executives and the company as a whole, and I think all the other partners, we're moving with this, um, just trying to mobilize as much as possible, developing expertise that we could actually uh, sell to other people, but also turning this into a relevant, um, up-to-date company that responds to more public health issues. Um, I, I mean, the discussion about whether it will be for profit or non-profit at some point is, is really not on the table, but that sustainability discussion is ongoing, um, looking at other ways of mobilizing other funds. And we have been able to mobilize other funds outside of AGA by making it standalone. We have been able to do other things and, and attract a little bit more money to do other work. So, so I guess uh, the, the short answer to that is it's, it's work in progress, but it is uh, recognized that uh, part of AGA malaria and other initiatives success story is that it is able to disentangle itself and become an integral part of uh, a country's national health uh, infrastructure. So on that note, uh, Bafedile, Thank you very much for your time. It was lovely speaking with you. And I certainly enjoyed my time as the chairman of the board of uh, AGA Malaria and watch the company's uh, progression with uh, great interest. So uh, thank you very much. And I'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me.